Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Uh, tonight, I am a recovered alcoholic, and every night, my name is Chris. Not necessarily recovered, but definitely alcoholic uh, every night. So thanks for joining us tonight. In a moment, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. Please take a moment to get situated. Turn off all devices that make noise or that might slash will distract others. Um, would you take this time to get Connected to God, and let the craziness of the day drift away. Ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? Yeah. All right. So are we, uh, yeah, I'll see you in two minutes.
please join me in the fog light prayer. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Jessica S. to read the Appendix 2 on spiritual experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important for us to know what one is. Jessica. Hi, I'm Jessica. I'm an alcoholic. So spiritual experience, the term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery of alcoholism is manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it is not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate, overwhelming God-consciousness followed by once at vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experience are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety. Because they develop slowly over a period of time, often, quite often, friends of a newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realized that he has undergone a profound alteration in this reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldomly have been accomplished by years of its self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they are presently identify with their own conception of a power greater themselves. Most of us think that this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essential of ex- is the es- essence of ex- spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his own problems in the light of the experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery. But these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man of everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane meeting mode or just turn them off. And now it's the time of the meeting where I introduce the speaker. Um, 
He's been doing an awesome step series with us for the past three months. It's my privilege to introduce to you tonight, Mr. Pat. Appreciate it. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Pat. Thanks to the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the program of AA. I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And for that, I'll be forever grateful. Uh, AA didn't just save my life, but it gave me one worth living, and I absolutely enjoy my life today. You know, I, I love AA. I just love being in AA. I love being here. And, uh, it's just, uh, it's like, I don't know, I, you know, if, surely when you walk into this room, you guys feel that presence. I, you know, and I, I don't... Uh, I can't underestimate the importance of the meetings for me. I, you know, that's not a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight, but it's it's an essential part of my uh, program. And uh, I kind of equate it to like a pit stop in racing. You know what I mean? Like I'm racing through life, and uh, and if I don't somehow stop and get centered again, uh, I just can't stop the wheels from turning. I just can't stop the, the voices in the... Uh, and the meetings kind of do that for me. It's kind of like pull in for a pit stop and stop for an hour and get re-centered. And, and that's a lot of what I'm going to talk about today, is, tonight, is, uh, is staying centered. We're, we're, uh, before I forget, because I'll get going here, I want to thank you guys for letting me do this series. It's, uh, I love coming down to this group. It's a great group. Uh, the Alcoholics and God Show. <laughs> it's a fun fun place to be at and even more so it's uh people are on fire for the program you know we have those pockets of aa uh around broward county and palm beach county that they're just not that don't drink and go to meetings crowd they're they're about the program of aa and the program of aa is the big book and and they focus on that and and i'm so glad that we have groups like this and and there's another handful of groups in Broward County that I could name that, uh, that focus on the literature because that is the program. The program is the big book. We're named after it. You know, the Alcoholics Anonymous is named after the book. And, and so that is the uh, program. And we have a responsibility to transmit that. Uh, an accurate, right? Our responsibility is to transmit an accurate presentation of the program. And that is the book. And, and so I try to do that. And I know this group tries to do that. And so I'm always grateful to come down here uh, and, and do a step series. So I want to thank you guys for having me and putting up with me for the 10 weeks that I've been here. Not always on fire. <laughs> it's funny how that works, by the way. It's, uh, you know, some days you just feel like you're channeled, you know, like God is speaking through you and it just flows. And, and other days I feel like I'm just trudging to get every freaking word out, you know. And, and, uh, and it's funny, like those days that I feel like I'm really working to just get stuck through the meeting, uh, somebody will come up after me and thank me for something that I said. <laughs> you know, that I'm not even sure I said, by the way. They might be what they heard. It happens a lot, right? Anybody, anybody that does a lot of speaking knows that. So that thing you said about the third step was really awesome. I needed to hear that. And I was like, we were on 11. Yeah. <laughs> I want to burst their bubble. I don't remember saying anything about the third step, but, but thank you. <laughs> So we are going to talk about step 12 tonight and, uh, and some other things, but, uh, you know, that having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps is, uh, is the, is the greatest promise in the book. And, and, uh, and I, uh, 
I'm here to testify that I've had a spiritual awakening as with all these steps. And I, what a lead to read the Appendix 2 uh, describing what a spiritual experience is because that's exactly uh, what has taken place in my life. And, and that is a personality change sufficient to recover from alcoholism. And mine didn't, you know, I, I've, I've had both kinds. I've had that educational variety along with some uh, flashes of experiences, you know. And I've shared those with you along this ride these last few weeks that... Uh, you know, my, uh, the, the first major spiritual experience for me came in step four. You know, when I, when I got the tool of prayer, when the tools of prayer were introduced into my life, uh, reluctantly, by the way, but when I, when I found a way around the resentments that I had against just about everybody that was in my life, especially my ex-wife, uh, I mean, I was never going to overcome this, uh, my alcoholism, uh, if I didn't find a way to not feel that anger, that ang- that <laughs> torment is the word, you know. Uh, Eric Clapton used that word, and uh, in his talk, he used it. I was he, his quote was, "I was a tormented soul." God, I relate to that, you know. And and I I was always tormented, and and I don't even know any other way to describe it. It's just a, a sense of torment, a sense of. The doctor calls it restless cerebral discontent. That doesn't even describe what I'm feeling. You know, it's not restless cerebral discontent is when things aren't going my way. But when I want to put a freaking gun to my head, that's torment. You know, when I, when I don't want to do this anymore, I don't want to play anymore, I want out, I, want, I should just kill myself, I'm a piece of shit. You know, when, when that comes on, that's torment. That's, I don't want to play anymore. I don't want to deal with people anymore. I can't stand the way I feel for one more second, and I can't drink. That's a problem. That's a problem. And when I came in here, unfortunately or not, however you look at it, whatever your your uh, your perception of what was going on there was, is that uh, that alcohol stopped working for me. And if it if it hadn't stopped working for me, I'd still be doing it. And that's just a fact. It just wouldn't kill the pain anymore. It wouldn't take away the torment anymore. And, and I needed to find a way around that. And and you guys, uh, my sponsor, uh, when when he introduced me to that that uh, sick man's prayer, when he introduced me to the four-step prayer, I couldn't, I was just, I had an experience. I had an, I got, I found some relief. And uh, we, I don't know if we were talking about it here last week or not, but uh, what got me through my first 90 days, because it wasn't the program, I didn't get an accurate presentation of the program in my first three months. I fell in with the don't drink and go to Denny's crowd. And uh and that's no way to recover, let me tell you. That's, that's called hanging in there effing sobriety is what that is. That's, that's called white-knuckle shit right there. I mean, you don't want to do that. And, uh, and that's exactly what I was doing. I was hanging in there. <laughs> How you doing? Hanging in there. <laughs> yeah. Need a fourth meeting today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> get that 10 o'clock meeting in it, and I'm going to try to make it home, you know. <laughs> and that's the way I was. I, swear, I mean, that's, that's accurate. That's accurate. And, and we'd leave that 11 o'clock meeting and go to Denny's because I, didn't, I was afraid to drive home. I, I mean, I don't know if I share with you guys. I was talking to somebody about it the other day that uh, I was uh, almost three, I was three months sober in this program, and I had a pole picked out on the Sawgrass Expressway, you know. Every night on going out that Sawgrass, that pole right there, I used to look at that pole every night and say, man, that would just end it, you know. And if it wasn't for being introduced to that four-step prayer, I'm, I was dying inside dying. I was sitting at Denny's dying, you know, sitting at home at night dying. I couldn't even read the big book. I read the big book and, you know, try to read it uh, 
uninhibited by a sponsor. I mean, that's like dangerous. <laughs> Who the F is Bill Wilson anyway? You know, freaking stockbroker asshole from New York. You know, I got nothing in common with this guy. You know, I mean, and that's what happens if you try to go through it by yourself, you know. And, and uh, when I got introduced to prayer, uh, that was an experience. I mean, I don't even know how to describe that, you know, that, that I started to get some relief that, that uh, you know, you start, you know, that whole, that's, that's, that's a spiritual experience, by the way, in case you're wondering. When you start looking at life from a different angle, when you start looking at it from, hey, I wonder, instead of being a victim, you're wondering what's going on in their life to treat you like they are, or if you're wondering if you had anything to do with the way they treated you, they're treating you, and you start looking at it from, or you start asking yourself this, is there something I could do to help? Holy crap, you know, I didn't even like them yesterday, and today I'm wondering if I can help them. And, that, and that's, that's a spiritual experience. That's a spiritual awakening right there. I mean, my, I, I don't know what I would have done without that. You know? But I, I started to say that we were, when I came in, I lived. I literally lived. It wasn't for page 449 when I came in here. It's page 417 now. But if it wasn't for the acceptance prayer in Dr. Addict Alcohol from Paul, Paul Olinger, I wouldn't be here. I had to believe that all this crap was happening for a reason, that there had to be, that, what is it, nothing, absolutely nothing in God's world happens by mistake, you know, and I had to believe that, I had to, even if it was a fantasy, I had to believe that all this crap that I was going through, there had to be a bigger reason for this, and, and it, it, it forced me to trust that God had a plan. It forced me, and I, we don't see that anymore. I mean, I, that acceptance pamphlet, we used to have it in every meeting I was at. You hardly see it around anymore, and I said that the other day, and somebody pulled it out of their purse, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, I read that pamphlet over and over and over and over again. That's a great story. I mean, I, I mean if, you're, if you're in AA, you need to read Dr. Addict Alcoholic. I mean, it's, there's so much in that story, the new pair of glasses, looking at the world from a different angle, looking at his wife from a different angle, and from a different perspective, and, and the idea that I thought the worst day of my life was the day I landed in AA, this is, this is him saying, and it turned out that was the best day of my life, which shows I don't know what's good for me, so how in the hell would I know what's good for you, you know, and, and, the same, and, that, and we look at that, now we see that as you travel this road, that most things that I perceive to be tragedies are nothing more than growth experiences, or, or learning experiences, and, and you, you take those, those tragedies, perceived tragedies and you turn them into assets and and then they become assets when we're carrying the message of AA you know it's uh and my god that was like I, the the story in the back of the book was freedom from bondage you know praying for somebody that you hate my ex-wife you know praying for my ex-wife for two weeks straight whether I meant it or not you know and and it saved my life it absolutely I do I really do think that it that it saved my life because I knew I couldn't drink and and I didn't think this was going to work for me. I didn't I didn't see it. I was uh, I was I didn't come here willingly. I came here because I had to come here. And uh, and I don't mean like somebody forced me to come here. I didn't know where else to go. You know I didn't know where else to go. And I swear to God, if I had shown up at a Harry Krishna meeting or some other crazy fellowship, and somebody would have asked me if I wanted a new way of life, I'd be shaving my head. You know. Be selling roses somewhere, you know. I just I couldn't live the way I was living anymore, and and uh, and these these steps uh, slowly uh, gave me relief. And, and it, for me, it was more than the drinking. It, I mean, the drinking was the symptom. 
you know, as the book says. And, and I, I know, and I'm not saying it's not about drinking. And it, it's all about not drinking. I mean, that's, that's how we're judged here is whether we drink or not. But uh, alcoholism is so much deeper than that. Uh, you know, my problem was, was living. My, you know, Sandy Beach, I say it all the time, Sandy Beach used to say, you know, you know what happens when you stop drinking? You're sober, you know. And, and now you know why you drank, you know. And, and, and Charlie Pomelay, was quote him, always says, you feel better when you get to AA. You feel anger better. You feel fear better. You feel resentment better. You know, and that's so true because you don't have the medication anymore. You know, now you're raw. Now you're dealing with life, you know. Life on life's terms, which is different than what I'm dealing with now. I'm dealing with life on God's terms now. Life on life's terms is a different deal. You know, that's a whole different deal. Because life sucks sometimes. You know, I, I came in here. I was going through a divorce. I had a restraining order on me, a lawsuit for assault and battery. And the business was collapsing. And, and did collapse, by the way. I was a year sober when it collapsed. I was unemployed a year sober. Yeah. And I, was, I never felt better in my life. And I swear to God, I never felt, I just, you guys gave me tools to, to work through that stuff. And then we, you know, we find the, the tool for, you know, prayer. We turn fear uh, into courage through prayer. Uh, you know, we, we have three, three prayers for relationships. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> one prayer for resentment, one prayer for fear, and three for relationships. You know, I think we have trouble in that area, right? <laughs> Just I was just uh, I was able to to feel things I had never felt before. I was able to do things I had never been able to do before. You know, I, I just I believed in you know I believed in God. And there's a difference when I say I believed that there was a power greater than human power. Now I've refined that belief over years, but at the beginning it was a belief in the God of my misunderstanding. I didn't I didn't I had disregarded the God of my child. Is that the right word? I had, I had put that aside. I had put that punishing God of justice aside, and I just said, I'm just, you know, you guys gave me permission to, uh, and, and by the way, it, it is who my God is today, is a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of forgiveness, and, uh, and I got to celebrate that yesterday, which is really cool, you know, and, uh, and that's what I have in my life today, a God that accepts me however, loves me unconditionally, doesn't care, and what, what happens is I move, God doesn't move, I move. And my behavior blocks me from the sunlight, or my actions block me from the sunlight. But God never stops loving me. I just have to move back into the light. I just have to clean it up and move back into the light. And you guys gave me the tools to do that. And that's just an amazing thing. And, and, and it has gone, uh, you know, I share with you guys, I think in step five, I'm sure I did, is where my, my spiritual experience took place, where... <laughs> Uh, after step five, I had an absolute experience, not just an awakening. Step four was an awakening. Step three was kind of an awakening. But step five, I had an experience with God. And, and, uh, and the obsession was lifted. I, a place called recovered. That's, that's where recovery happens. Uh, doesn't mean you recovered from alcoholism, but I recovered from the obsession to drink. That's, the obsession was lifted. I, I knew the truth in it. I don't believe that lie anymore. I had found a solution to, my, to the internal condition, to the torment. And when that torment comes on me, I have a solution now. I can turn to the spirit rather than the spirits. That, but that obsession was absolutely lifted that day after my fifth step. And, uh, and God, what, I, I remember, I don't know where I heard the story, but a teacher asked a child uh, what they thought about God, and, and the child hesitated for a second and said, God's not a thought, God's a feeling. 
And, uh, and I thought, what a great line, because God went from a thought to a feeling that day. It, it became, I had an experience with God rather than just a belief in God, you know. And, and however, by the way, when I say God, whatever you think that is, that's what I'm talking about, because I'm, I'm sure that my perception, my perception of God at one time was some bearded guy with a staff, up, you know, looking down and picking and choosing who he was going to help and who he wasn't. And, and I, that's, not, that's not my perception anymore. I mean, it's, it's, it's a spirit of the universe type of thing. It's a, you know, call, I love Bill's suggestion of creative intelligence, spirit of the universe, you know, uh, collective conscious. I mean, you know, whatever you want to call it, but it's, uh, I don't need to know that anymore. You know, all I need, I, I've had all the proof I need to know that there's a power greater than human power in this universe. I, I have proof of the unseen. It's called faith. You know, I've, I've had experiences with God. Uh, I've seen things happen that shouldn't happen. <laughs> I've witnessed absolute miracles. I'm not going to go into all that, you know, but I, I have seen absolute miracles with my own eyes. And, and God went from my head to my heart. And, and when that happened, I began to experience God. And, and it's the difference uh, between, I don't know where I heard this, but it's, and it really hits home for me, though, but it's the difference between a child being at home alone and a child being in the bedroom knowing their parent is in the other room. You know, it's that difference feeling, you know. And, and that's what happened. I am not alone. I am never alone. Uh, that presence is always with me. It's always a solution. And, and I get to uh, tap into that anytime I want. And, you know, the, 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 you know we'll go back to the four facts, right? The, 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 the fact is I've lost the power and choice to drink. I can't bring into my conscience with sufficient force the pain and suffering of, of this morning. They say a week or a month ago in the book, but I couldn't remember this morning, you know. I mean, it was like she said she's leaving. Okay, I'm not drinking. And then by 4 o'clock, I'm going, what the hell did she mean by that, you know? I don't, I don't think she really meant it. <laughs> or promise a judge, that, uh, you know, you'll never see me again, you know, and then you're drunk before you get home, you know. But the tremendous fact is that we found a common solution, and that's the great news, right? The great fact is we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences, and we just read what that is. Personality change, uh, sufficient to recover uh, from alcoholism, sometimes quickly spiritual experience, sometimes slowly spiritual awakening, you know, uh, ideas, emotions, and attitudes were once the guiding forces these men and women replaced by a whole new set of conceptions, you know, a whole new set of thoughts, feelings, and actions, you know, and... Uh, from Carl Jung, you know, we, we know what that is. The great fact is just this and nothing less that we've had deep and effective spiritual experience. But the central fact of our lives is that God has entered our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. And it's doing for me what I could not do for myself. And I couldn't stay stopped. I couldn't live life on, on life's terms. I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with it. You know, and uh, and I've the central fact is that God lives in my heart. That is the central fact in my heart. You know what I heard yesterday? It just made me think of it. I was I was or not yesterday, midnight mass, uh, Christmas Eve, which was kind of yesterday. Yes, it was yesterday, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, we, we always there's this kind of a, a debate from the inner circle. You know, uh, God has entered our heart and lives. God has entered our heart and lives. Right and. Uh, and I heard heart and lives at the Mass. That's the first time I ever heard it. I've been to a Mass a lot of times, and, and I'm not trying to promote anything, but I heard them say those words, that God has entered our heart and lives. You know, and I wonder, you know, I, we always laugh because if, if, I think if we had the opportunity to ask Bill, is it 
heart and lives or heart and lies, Bill would have said yes. <laughs> and, and so, and I have a theory. If you ever want to hear it, you can ask me. But, <laughs> but that's what's happened. The central fact of my life now is, this, is, the, is, the, uh, is my relationship with God. That is the central fact of my life, I, and, and, I'm, and I'm proud of that. I'm not, I'm not embarrassed by that. I'm not embarrassed to say that. Anybody that asks me what's the most important thing in my life is my relationship with God. I'm not telling you that hasn't you know, moved back and forth a little bit sometimes, you know, that, uh, that I don't get caught up in, in, uh, in some of the fudge of life. <laughs> you know, I, it's just true. You know, it just happens, and if you haven't heard the fudge story, then you won't get that, but... Uh, you know the uh, I tune. I'm constantly in touch with God all day long. Now I'm sicker than most, so I need a lot of help because uh, I can get caught up in my head and just go off on tangents. Uh, days, weeks, months. I mean, you know, it wasn't for that relationship, and uh, I would have to figure it out. You know, you, anybody like that where they just got to figure it out? They got to figure it. Out. I need an answer. Like I got to figure this out. And I don't have to figure it out anymore. I say, it's yours. You know, like I'm done, you know, mentally torturing myself, you know, when I, when I'm done and, and, uh, and it has to be, and we were with Tom, Tim Collins, is that what we've, Jim Collins, we, we found uh, that we were trying to figure out, I've heard the line and you've all heard it, right? That, that good is the enemy of the best, Right. And we, knew, we were looking to see who that quote came from, because I, I thought it was an Edison or somebody really important like that. Apparently, it's Jim Collins. Everybody knows him. <laughs> Good old Jim. <laughs> huh? Tom Collins. <laughs> I was going to say Tom Collins, but I didn't think it was appropriate. <laughs> you know, that's what, that's what came to my mind at first. It was Tom, and then Tim, and then, but it's Jim. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, and that's so true, right? I mean, it's like I've, I've witnessed this week, and this is so on my mind that I have to talk about it. Uh, I have witnessed two times this week relapses from good, from good. That that what AA has blessed them with took them out. Now I know that sounds odd, you know, but the gifts that AA gave them them out because something had to give right and what happens is and it's happened for all it happens for all of us when we stay on this beam and god is the central fact of our lives and people see that there's something inexplicably different about us and we show up with a glow with a light we attract relationships and we attract jobs and we attract good it's just a frequency i'm a big frequency guy you know and when you're putting positive frequencies out there good things happen and even the bad things that take place or the perceived bad things that take place we make something good out of it we make it a learning experience and we just become very positive people and and people want to be around us and and so you know the the you know we've always wondered why people ran from us but you know but, but we had to force relationships right and and uh and so what happens is, is you get the relationship, you get the, 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 the relationship together, and the material starts to come, you get the job, 
And then something's got to give, it seems like, you know, the priority, we start to worship those other things, you know, the things that have been, the things that have blocked me from the sunlight of the spirit from the very beginning, because we found out at the beginning that it, that God has always been present. God has always been within, call it your conscience, call it your soul, call it common sense, call it whatever you want to call it. But God has always been there is that I have worshiped other things. And I have made conscious decisions to separate from that because my principles didn't align with that. You know, we talked about that briefly last week, right? When the alcoholic can't live up to the principles, they lower the principles. They don't change their behavior, you know. When they can't live up to their goals, they lower their goals. They don't change their behavior. You know, normal people change their behavior to meet the goals or change their behavior to meet the principles. But we do the opposite. And at some point, we have to consciously separate because we're medicating with other things. We're worshiping other things. You know? And so we begin to worship the relationship. We begin to worship the car, the house, the job, the little good stuff that's coming. And something's got to give. You know? And what, what, do we t- what do we cut back on? We don't say, well, no, I need to put that relationship on the back burner. I need to, cu- I need to not spend as much time in that relationship and stay focused on the central fact of my life. I need to not work so much. I need to cut back on that work thing because it's interfering with some meanings. And I'm not saying we can't find some kind of balance in there. But boy, we're not good at balance. We're not good at balance. Most alcoholics are not good at balance. Most real alcoholics are not good at balance. And I start, what happens is I start to worship the relationship. And instead of focusing on what brought the relationship in my life, I start to obsess about I might lose the relationship. I wonder why she's talking to that guy. That's bullshit. You know, you know I just posted something on Facebook. She didn't even like that shit. You know? you know, but she liked this other guy's thing over here. You know, I wonder if she's seeing that guy. You know, my insecurities start to surface. You know, and I start to obsess. And I, th- I start thinking, you know, maybe I need to spend more time with her. Maybe I'm not spending enough time with her. I think I'll cut out that Saturday night meeting. You know what? We need more money. I, I think, you know what would make us all happy? We need, a, we need to buy a house. We're just living in an apartment. We need to buy a house, maybe get a nicer car. So you know what? I'm going to start focusing. I've always, want, I've always wanted to work in recovery. So I think I'm going to do my day job, and I'm going to do some halfway house stuff at night. I'm going to work on treatment on weekends. These are real stories, by the way. I'm not making this shit up. These are, these are real stories, right? These are guys. This is what I go this is what This is what you hear when you're sponsoring guys. And I, and I think since I'm working weekends, I've got to cut out that worship thing. got to cut that out on Sunday. can't do that no more because I've got to work Sundays now. One of them was at a meeting. You know, we got together trying to sort that all out, you know, the other day. One of my guys, right, comes to my home group. I look around. He's gone. Hell, hell. And we've got good reasons. I mean, they're legitimate reasons, right? That's what happened. We just got done talking at Starbucks. We went to the meeting. You left the meeting. Oh, man, I'm just exhausted. I've been working day and night. Just, I just couldn't. I just couldn't. You know, legitimate excuse for him, not for me. Yeah. So what happened? How come you're not coming to the Wednesday night meeting anymore? Ah, oh, man, I had to find some balance in that relationship. You know, like, like she's complaining. We're not spending enough time together. 
you know, something got to give. So I figured I'd cut that Wednesday night meeting out. I'll just do the Tuesday and Friday meeting, spend more time with the, with the relationship. And it happens both ways. It happens both ways, you know. And, and we start what, what we get, what the gifts that we got start to take us away from what gave us the gifts. And we start to back away, you know. That's why when we were talking last week, and I, I, I did 10 and 11 a little bit different last week, that's why that design for living is so freaking important in my life. You know, to keep that priority, keep that central fact, the central fact, keeping God the central fact. Because if the girl or the guy becomes the central fact of your life, you're in trouble. If your job becomes the central fact of your life, you want to know what the central fact of your life is? What are you thinking about the most? You know, what are you thinking about the most all day long? That's the central fact of your life. You worried about money? That's the central fact of your life. Worried about what, they, what he or she is doing all day? It's the central fact of your life. And in God, it will take you out. It will take you out. The first thing we disconnect from is the fellowship, the home group. First thing we do, disconnect from them. Because they're full of shit anyway. Yeah. Always telling me what to do. Now they got you sober, but now they don't know shit. You know, I'm so much smarter than they are now. I'm so much more recovered than, you know, than when I first got here. You know, we disconnect there. And what happened? We, forget, we stopped praying. We put prayer on the back burner. We, start, we just don't have that constant reminder, that pit stop anymore. You know, we're not doing that pit stop anymore anymore. So we forget. I'm a little too tired to pray tonight. I prayed because my life depended on it when I got here. And now I'm already in bed. Now I've got to get out of bed, get on my knees. That's a lot of work. I think I'll just pray from here. You know, no longer bend my will. You know, next thing you know, we're up in here, pissed off. I was like, when I first got, uh, I first got divorced, I mentioned last week that I ended up getting divorced 15 years sober. And, uh, after I weathered that storm and had another experience in the church, I decided that what I really belonged with was somebody, some, a woman in AA, you know. And uh, let me go to the dented can aisle and find a relationship. It's <laughs> 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 <This is> terrible. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> we're all here because we're not all there. I mean, that's... A, <laughs> I'm admittedly, I'm broken, you know, and, uh, but so I started doing some dating, right, with uh, some, some girls in A, and I, and I, and I started dating this girl that I was really good friends with, and uh, we went out a couple times, and, and uh, went to Bonefish Max one night in Pompano, and uh, took her out, to, and, and we're sitting there, and then some other people joined us, and she spent like almost the whole evening talking to some other guy at the table. Now, I'm 15, almost 15 and a half years sober. I was freaking furious. Like, I'm, I'm the one buying dinner here. Like, pay some attention over here. You know, what's, what's I mean, I, it, I realized I'm not ready for a relationship. <laughs> I, I mean, I left. I left her there. I left her there. <laughs> I did. I did. I said, fuck, pay your own bill. Get, get, get that musician to pay your freaking dinner. You know, I'm 15 and a half years sober. I was 16 years sober. Like, like I, what nerve? What nerve to talk to another guy? 
that's how immature I was relationally. <laughs> I mean, my God, I, that's when I ended up, I think I shared with you guys last year, I spent a year alone after that. You know, I got with my sponsor, I told him what happened. I said, I can't do this relationship thing. He says, no, you can't. <laughs> well, he said, that, that has become the central fact of your life. You can't be alone. The only thing that validates you is a woman. Get your crap together. Spend some time alone. Get your relationship with God together. And then maybe you'll have something. Maybe you'll become the right person instead of find the right person. Imagine that. You know? And that's kind of what happened. I spent a year by myself, and when the right relationship entered my life, I wasn't looking for it. I didn't even, I was fine. I was fine. I didn't need it. I had cultivated a relationship with God over almost a year. And I was, I was all right. It was the first time in my life, by the way, that that wasn't the central fact of my life. <laughs> From age 13 on, that was the central fact of my life. Right? Get a job, get a car, get laid. I mean, that was, that was my whole life. You know? I thought that's what it was all about. And then get married. <laughs> so anyways, it just seems to be a, a cycle where uh, we have to stay focused on what's important. And, and as long as I stay focused on what's important, then I am not a taker in the relationship. I'm a giver in the relationship. I'm, I'm not uh, a taker when it comes to, uh, comes to work. You know, I'm not obsessed with things anymore. I've gotten to a point, and it's taken some time, but I've gotten to a point in my life now where less is more. You know, I really want less. I really want less pressure. I really would like to cut back. You know, and I don't need a bigger house. I don't need, I could use a smaller house right now, you know, and less bills. I could, I don't really need a truck and a van. I could really do without the truck, you know, because what it does is it adds stress to my life. And, you know, I, I go through days wondering, I, I have it figured out to how much money I have to make each day to break even. And if I'm not hitting that number, you know, uh, I start to panic. I start to get worried. And what becomes the central fact in my life is the money. And I'd like to just put that all on the back burner. I'd like to just, you know, not have that kind of pressure in my life. I'd like to be free of that. And, and you know, I'm at a point now where uh, I'm not so validated by it, but it's funny. I mean, when you become, you know, as a result of these steps, when you, come, when you become spiritually awake, uh, the whole, all the priorities seem to change. You know, it's just a whole different deal uh, than what it was before. I just don't need all that. <laughs> that's the message, isn't it? That's the message of recovery. That that uh, that if God, if we keep God the central fact of our life, we'll be free from the drink obsession. I mean, that's the that's really the only promise this book has. I mean, other problems seem to get solved as a result of practicing these principles in our lives. As as a result of you know getting up in the morning every single freaking day and starting with step eleven and recommitting, recommitting to recovery in God. Right? Not, you know, what am I going to do to make my wife happy today? What am I going to do to make the girlfriend or the boyfriend happy today? You know, what's work going to be like? How much money am I going to make today? Focus on my relationship with God and recovery. That's what we were talking about last week, the design for living. Recommit. Recommit. Yesterday, that river flowed. You know, what I did yesterday is not going to keep me sober today. We will not stay sober on what we did. We're staying sober on what we're doing. You know, that river's gone. You know, it's time to recommit and focus on my relationship with God. And how am I going to carry that message through my day? 
That doesn't mean I'm without problems and I don't ask for help with problems. And then step 10 is about staying on that course, you know, staying focused on the central fact, keeping that central fact forefront in my mind. It doesn't doesn't have to be about the money. You know, I get so caught up in it, I'm not making enough money. You You know what the truth is? When I really get honest about it, I get caught up. I'm going to share with you that my boss doesn't pay me enough money. Right? Truth is, I spend more money than I make. Right? It's not that he doesn't pay me enough money. I spend too much money. Like, if I could just live within my means, then it would be fine. But I, I have a twisted perception of what's going on there. They're greedy. They don't share all that money. That's a funny thing, by the way. That if you spend more money than you make, you go into debt. Yeah, that's that's reality right there. You know, I was in a fantasy land for that for a long time. You know, just because you have checks left, don't mean you have money. (laughs) (laughs) Them credit cards are brutal. But you know, there's the stress. You know, you so we start complaining. We're not making enough money because we spent too much money. You know, I need to make more money. I need to make more money. Well, live within your means, you know, and I'm talking for myself. You know, live within my means, and I'm not, I'm not under that stress anymore. So when I have a slow day, no big deal. It gives me an opportunity to go to an extra meeting or something, right? I get done the other day, and I'm done at 11 o'clock. I only had a couple jobs to do. I'm thinking, hey, there's a noon meeting right up the street here. Let me go catch that meeting. Another pit stop, right? Maybe there's somebody there I can help. What if, what if I did? That's just, I love the meetings. I, and look, I think they're necessary. You know, I, Alcoholics, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings will not treat alcoholism. You will not get sober just not drinking and going to meetings. But let me tell you this, alcoholics that don't go to meetings, they don't do well. <laughs> they just don't do well. It's just like I said, to me, it's like a pit stop. It's like a breather. It's like a safe zone. You know, like all the crap stops for an hour or usually it's a half hour before an hour and a half hour after for me, sometimes dinner. You know, I get that breather. As soon as I walk in here, I feel the presence and I I call that a collective consciousness. You know, we're we're two or more are gathered in the name of recovery. I'm telling you, there's a power there, you know, and I, as soon as I walk in, I feel it. I feel it. I, I find a sense of relief as soon as I walk into the meeting. I love the meetings. I absolutely love going to meetings. I don't care what's going on. I don't really care who's speaking. I don't care. I mean, I don't really usually need a meeting. I just love being there, you know. I just love being in them, you know. I'm no longer hanging in there, you know. I'm not hanging in there. I'm not struggling one effing minute at a time to stay sober. You know, the meetings aren't keeping me sober. They help. They're part of it. They're part of that three-sided triangle. They're part of that stool, that three-legged stool. It's difficult to sit on a two-legged stool. It takes all three sides of that triangle to make it complete. The recovery process, the fellowship, and the service, all three sides, uh, at one time or another, sometimes have saved my life. You know, there's no doubt about it. And that's the message we carry to the alcoholics. You know, I can't even see that clock. What time is it? Oh, five till. That's the message. I mean, AA really, I mean, the program of Alcoholics Fellowship has a ton of messages, but the program of AA only has one message, and that's, that's having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. I mean, that's really our only message. The fellowship has a ton of them, you know, and that's the message we carry. And, and we are the experts, you know, the, 
as, having had a spiritual awakening, we carried this message to the alcoholic. You know, it used to say, in the original, you say to others, especially alcoholics, in the original manuscript, we carry that message to everybody. You know, uh, the, the, how it works we read today talks about just alcoholics, but, you know, it's, uh, that's not the case. <laughs> we show up uh, everywhere. We, we need to carry it everywhere. We need to show uh, that we're recovered everywhere. But that's, that's our gift, right? I mean, our gift, it, did I, I think I brought the... I grabbed a couple of papers when I left the house for a reason. That my brokenness, our brokenness, has become our greatest asset. How cool is that, right? That our shared suffering has become our greatest asset. That we are the experts on recovery from alcoholism and drug addiction. I mean, that's just the deal. You know, that our, that our greatest asset is our defects. Where else does that happen? Where else do you share your brokenness and your defects and it help other people? I mean, and that's really what happens here. It says you can make use of your mistakes, failures, losses, and sufferings. It's not what happens to you so much as what you use, what you make of it. Take your suffering, your difficulties, and your hardships and make use of them to help some unfortunate soul who faced the same troubles. Then something good will come out of your suffering and the world will be a better place because of it. The good you do each day will live on after the trouble and distress have gone, after the difficulty and the pain have passed away. So every negative thing in my life shared becomes an asset. You know, that helps somebody else that has been through that same thing. And I'd like to tell you that my life is nothing but a bed of roses, but that's just not true. You know, I don't suffer from the obsession to drink and drug anymore, but I still suffer from the human condition. You know, I still have my my issues emotionally. Uh, I'm still an emotional basket case at times. I just have a different solution for it now. But I but but where else do you get to share that? How broken you are, and people applaud <laughs> afterwards, right? Like you can be a total f up and come in here and share that, and everybody goes, "Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> you helped me so much." You know. <laughs> It doesn't happen anywhere else, you know? I mean, we're, I mean, look, we're judged by not drinking. That's how we're measured here is by not drinking, but it's so much more than that. It's so much more than not drinking. You know, the, the hell, I mean, it seems as though it's sometimes that, that half measures do avail us something in these rooms, right? I mean, we look around, we see people that don't practice these principles in all their affairs, and they, they get something, you know? I don't know what, what it is. It's kind of hanging in there usually, but... You know, it seems like half measures do avail something sometimes, you know, because we're really judged by just not drinking. I mean, you could run over somebody on the way here and, you know, run from the scene and get in here and say, well, I didn't drink today. And, Congratulations. <laughs> good, good job. You know, good job. You know. <laughs> and we, we see it. I mean, we see people who lie for a living. We see predators coming in and out of these rooms, you know, and, but they don't, and they don't drink and they're, they're winners, supposedly, you know. I mean, that's just not what I signed up for. I don't want that. I don't want that hanging in there thing, you know? I don't want that being reliant on meetings thing. You know, my, my recovery comes through my relationship with God, and, I'm, and that's because I practice some principles in my life to the best of my ability. Am I perfect at it? No. But I don't ring any bells that I can't unring anymore. You know, that's for sure. I stop and capture the thought before I take an action nowadays. And that's, to me, the third step in a nutshell. To me, that's the third step in a nutshell. Capture every thought and bring it into obedience. 
You know, that's my favorite line. That's a quote from Paul, by the way, from from Corinthians. But uh, you know, that to me sums up the third. Now we know what Paul meant by bringing into obedience to to what he wanted to, but bring it into obedience to the principles of AA. You know, use it for AA. But uh, I mean, that to me is the key to this thing: is is don't ring bells that I can't unring. Don't do something I can't re- I can't repair. And then for me, you have to capture that thought. And that's part of the, the spiritual experience. That's part of God being the central fact of your life. You pay attention to the conscience. You pay attention to the guilt. Guilt's not a bad thing. Guilt's telling you you're in trouble. You're violating some principles. Do something about it. Change your behavior. Capture the thought. You know, shame and remorse comes after. Untreated guilt leads to shame and remorse. The guilt's just like an arm that hurts. It says, pay attention to that arm. You did something to the arm. Guilt's a gut check. We call it, I like to call it a 10-step knot. Yeah. Time to do a 10-step. Time to do some inventory, talk to somebody in the fellowship, maybe make an amends. You know, that's the deal. But that, we are the experts. You know? And, you, and I, I love the first paragraph. I left my book over there, but I love the first paragraph in Chapter 7 where it talks about you know, to, that it's an experience that you don't want to miss, you know. And by the way, it's, it's an experience that's necessary for my growth. You know, this is, this is about spiritual growth. This is about uh, constant growth. This is about taking in new information, incorporating into my recovery and moving on. It's about uh, self-examination on a daily basis, on a constant basis. There's nothing that makes me look at myself more than when I'm taking somebody else through the steps. There's nothing that keeps me on the beam more than telling a sponsee what to do. Because they ask me, are you doing it? And I say, absolutely. I shared with you last week the 11-step inventory, right? I stopped doing it. But I had my guys doing it. One of them called me on it. I said, I want you to start your 11-step inventory tonight. I just sent you the form. Fill out the form. Email it to me every night. He goes, do you do it? Of course I do. (laughs) Started that night. (laughs) Back on the beam. You know what I mean? Back on the beam. But that's how it works, right? I mean, you're you're getting them to make an eight-step list. What comes to mind? An amends you haven't done, right? Or a new amends that you just forgot about that surfaces. And so you stay on that track. You stay, you stay focused. You, you know, you're going through chapter two and you're describing the four facts to a newcomer. It just becomes, are, am I, is God the central fact of my life? I've got to ask myself the same question. But it's, I love it. I absolutely, to see the light come on. And by the way, uh, the, the successes are far and few between. I mean, this, the, the success rates are not that great. You know, we and I'm not talking about the people who do the work. You know, the, they quote the success rates at this meeting. And our book talks about uh, 75% success rates of the people who tried. That's the caveat of the people who really tried. Right? What does that mean? That means the people who went through the steps, did the steps, and then lived them, then practiced them in their daily life. 75% of them made it. You can't count everybody that comes to AA. I mean, that would, just, that would just be unfair with the treatment centers and the halfway houses and the people who are court-ordered and the parents make them come. And, you know, you can't, you can't, I mean, we're in single digits if that's the case. But of the people who really try, I think 100% get it. 
I think the people who really take 10, 11, and 12 and practice in their lives, they don't skimp an hour of it. They do the morning prayer meditation or readings. They do the daily spot check inventories. They do the nightly inventory at night. They sponsor people. They do service at meetings. Those people, they stay. I think 100% of those people make it. But you've got to want to do it. It's a a tough sell, especially for young people that are coming into the program. You got to be desperate, right? You got to be desperate. You got to have like no other way out. You know, you got to be facing, as as William J. said, you got to be facing an insurmountable obstacle to want to do that. There's no other road because nobody really wants to be a member of AA. (laughs) Nobody had that written down in high school. You know, I can't wait to get to AA and speak. <laughs> Nobody was going there. You know, we end up here, and then it becomes such a gift. I mean, I can't tell you how grateful I am. I am, I am absolutely overwhelmed with gratitude. I mean, I just, and that's why I love this program. And I would do anything with this program. I, I rarely, rarely ever say no to anything. You know, but it's I just love it. And I'm I'm fortunate. I said last week, I think that I'm blessed to be in a relationship with somebody in the program who is just as involved as I am because I don't think it would work any other way for me. You know, I'm all in. I mean, I'm I'm all in. I'm I'm all in or all out. That's just the deal. I, like I say, suffer from a very extreme case of this alcoholism thing, and it runs way deeper than drugs and alcohol. I was an alcoholic. I had the alcoholism way before I picked up a drink or a drug. Way before I picked up. Matter of fact, alcohol and drugs were my solution. Not my problem. And, you know, they fixed what was going on internally. It was a real problem when I had to give it up or it stopped working. And then I had to deal with myself again. That's difficult. But that's, you know, that's, we get to do that. that. You know, taking people through the steps and seeing that light come on, seeing their lives recreated. And then they actually give you credit for it. I mean, that's amazing. You know? It's not me. You know, it's just... The program, you know, the, the program is just miraculous. Well, the, the, how it recreates lives and puts families back together and gets people back on the on the right track. But like I said, I see it all the time. You know, I'm, I'm working with a guy, and you know, he got a job in the computer industry. You know, got his kids, got a relationship with his kids back. Three days before Christmas, picks up a damn crack rock. You know, you know, because he got too busy with work. And the kids, and, you know, moved away from his support group. I'm going to do this. I'm, I got this. I got this. God, watch alcoholics when they say, I got this. You know, and, we, and, we, and I'll tell you, we got good reasons. Alki speak is amazing. You know, the Alki rationalization is amazing how they come up with excuses that are so good you can't even argue with it. You know, you get like you go, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. And, but you know you're going to get high. <laughs> you know, no, 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 I got it. I got it. You know, watch Elkies when they say, I got this. Because you know, I'll tell you what, I ain't got this. You know, I, I got it when I got you in my life, and I'm sponsoring guys, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I got it. You know? And it's a constant growth. It's that constant growth in that relationship. It's seeking more. My, you know what becomes the addiction now is more. More God. More spirituality. I want to feel better. You know? the, the, uh, a friend of mine, Ben uh, T., always talks about, uh, uh, and Bill talked about it in his, in his later talks, about divine dissatisfaction is what it becomes. And uh, you just are never satisfied. 
You know, you just always want more. I always think I should be doing more. And that's, you know, that's the difference between life on life's terms and life on God's terms, right? Here's what life on life's terms talks sounds like to me, is that, you know, I don't have everything I want, but I'm okay. You know, life doesn't treat me fair, but I'll deal with it. You know, I have tools to deal with it. You know, I like a nicer house, but, you know, I'm okay. You know, my car is a piece of crap. I'd really like another car, but, you know, whatever. You know, life on God's terms is this. I don't do enough. I need to do more. I wish I could help more people. You know, that's life on God's terms because that's our job now is to be of maximum service to others. What Bill's saying in his story, we'll never survive the low spots in life unless we live a life of self-sacrifice and service for other people because we suffer from alcoholism. That's the, and it becomes, it really becomes an obsession. I just want more spirituality. I want a better relationship with God. I was sitting with, a, I don't know, it was last year, I think, right, out, right when I was doing this series here, uh, I was at St. Ambrose up in, uh, in uh, the Friday night meeting, the Central Fact Group, and, and Pete was there, and Ben T. was there. And, and I was just kind of like, I, I looked at Pete and Ben, and I said, do you guys ever feel like you just don't do enough? Like, do you ever feel like you just don't have enough time for your sponsees? Like, there's just not enough hours in the day? And I thought they were going to give me some, like, really good advice. And they went, they both looked at each other and they looked at me and said, yeah, all the time. All the time. And that's what it's become. I need more hours. I need more. My work thing is getting in the way of my 12-step work. You know what I mean? This work thing is just cramping my personal life big time. You know, I, I, I just don't, you know, to do the work thing and, and as much as I want to do in recovery and, and the relationship thing, it's, it's a damn balancing act. It really is. Like I said, I'm fortunate in the relationship area because she's involved, but we got to set a night aside. You know, that's like, look, if you're in a relationship, set a night aside. <laughs> you know, you got to have that night, you know, whatever, one or two nights, you know, weekends I try to keep for my wife, you know, Saturday night's our night. I try not to ever take it. I'm not saying I don't, but I try not to. I try to stay away from doing anything on the weekends, and we can spend the weekends together. During the week, I am, I run the candle at both ends, man. I burn it at both ends, you know, between work and, and sponsees. And, my, you know, I get to see my sponsor at the Tuesday night meeting, you know, every week, fortunately. And uh, there just doesn't seem to be enough time to do what I want to do. You know, and that's that's divine dissatisfaction. That's life on on God's terms, right there. What could be wrong with that? You know, but it's just it. it I, I like I say, I wish I wish I could do more. You know, I wish I could sponsor everybody. You know, I never say no. Which people that know me know that I have rules, but uh, I never say no. You know, it's it's uh, you, there's three rules. One is if you call me, you have to leave a message. Because I'm with customers, sometimes I can't grab the phone, but I want to know the urgency of the call. You know, because if you leave a message and you say you're on the ledge, I will leave the customer and I will call you back. If you call just to check in, then I'll call you when I'm in between jobs or when I finish the job. You know, so that's a rule. The other rule is that if you've asked me to sponsor you, you've asked me to take you through the 12 steps. That's my job as a sponsor. So are you prepared to go through the 12 steps? We do a workshop on Tuesday nights, 7.30 at Christ Community Church in Pompano. We go through all 12 steps in five weeks, right? which is really five hours and your fifth step and whatever it takes you to do your fourth step. 
So it's like doing the steps in a day, but we spread it over a period of time, right? We kind of take our time. Mm -hmm. That's mandatory. And the other rule is you have to chase me. I'm not chasing you. You know, you, and that's what I did when I came in here, and I, and I do that because that's what I did. You know, I chased the people that had what I wanted. And if I have what you want, then you've got to chase me. I'm in a meeting almost every night. Not hard to find. You know, you can bet on where I'm at Monday night. You can bet on where I'm at Tuesday night. Wednesday night, I'm going to do a nine-month commitment at a big book study coming up in February. You know, Thursday nights, I'm here or some other step series. Friday nights, I'm at a particular place in Pompano. I'm not hard to find. I'm predictable. You know, so if you want to talk, meet me at one of those places. If you need somebody to go have coffee with you two or three times a week, I'm not the guy. Just bring the coffee to the meeting, and we'll have it before the meeting or after the meeting. But, and that's not saying that I won't meet you at Starbucks or something, but that's just the deal. I'm, I'm busy. You know, so if you want what I have, then there we go. You know, and it's just, that's just how I sponsor people. And if you can do that, I never say no. Yeah. And it kind of works itself out. How many guys you sponsor? And one of my favorite lines, I think it was Kent C. that said it from Ohio years ago, when we were, or last year, or two years ago. He was at Stewart. They asked Kent, Kent said, when people ask me how many guys I sponsor, I said about half of them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. <laughs> you know, that is true, right? I mean, the squeaking wheel gets the grease. I don't know how, I really don't know how many guys I sponsor. I can tell you how many I actively sponsored today. You know, or how many I actively sponsor in a week. But most people that, spon- that ask you to sponsor them, they don't, they don't call you. you know? I, gotta call, I call them the first time because that's what my sponsor did for me. He broke that ice and he made the first call because I know how difficult it is to make that call. So because, and, and that was, I, w- I probably wouldn't have called him had he not called me and now I owed him a call. You know, and so I do the same thing. But it's... The book's outlined to take people through steps. I mean, it's just simple. Your story is your is your biggest asset. You you're hoping at some time when you're you know what the the, the chapter seven is not dated in the twelve step call area. It's dated in a little bit on how we find people to help. We don't have to go chase them anymore. They come to us. But for the most part, it says share your story with them. Let them share theirs. That identification process that the book does with Bill's story. And you hope at some point to go, yeah, I did that. Yeah, that happened to me. Yeah, I felt like that. And boom, the bond is made. You know? And now you can share your solution to them. You know, we don't, what's it say? Stress the spiritual feature freely. It doesn't say anything about hiding the fact that this is about God. Because if you can do it without God, then you're in the wrong program. If you could do it without God, why would you be here? That's a good question, right? Like if you didn't need a spiritual program of recovery, why would you be here? And then it then outline the program of action. Talk about what we do, how we do an inventory, how we do uh, restitution, how we help others. Oh, that's part of our lifeblood. And then ask them if they're ready to make a decision. I mean, it's outlined perfect in Chapter 7. You ready to make a decision and tell your story? Three and five? Let's go. Yeah, let's go. It's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's laid out pretty simple. The book is a 12-step call. Doctor's opinion, problem, Bill's story, identification, chapter two, a solution, chapter three, what happens if you don't find a solution, chapter four, more ways to, to buy into our solution, right? chapters five and six, the program of action, right? 
4 through 9. Pretty simple stuff. It's not easy, is it? <laughs> I'm going to end with this. The tricky part is to practice the principles outside these rooms, right? right? That's the last part of that step. Practice these principles in all of our affairs because anybody can do this crap for an hour. You know, it's what are you doing out there? How are you showing up out there? How are you showing up with your family? How are you showing up with your children? How are you showing up with your parents? How are you showing up with your employer, your employees? How am I showing up with my customers? How am I showing up in traffic? How am I showing up on the road? I'm going to end with one quick story. It's my favorite story. When Brian was taking me through the steps, he was telling me that, uh, he was going onto the Sawgrass Expressway, and this guy in a van cut him off, right? And he was so pissed off that he started chasing this guy down the Sawgrass Expressway. He said, the closer he got to the guy's van, the more it looked like my van. And he said, I think I'm chasing my sponsee down the Sawgrass Expressway to kick his ass, right? I never forgot that story. We represent AA, you know? I have an AA symbol on the back of my vehicles. Take it off if I'm not going to represent. I have an AA symbol around my neck, a small one, just because I love when people recognize it, and then we have this bond. It's like seeing a big book in somebody's house, right? When you walk in, damn, you're a friend of Bill's, you know? It's just this excitement that takes place when that happens. But if I'm not going to represent it, then take it off. You know, I can't be giving people the finger and have that AA symbol on the back of my... My biggest fear is that I tailgate somebody into the meeting, you know, right? And the next thing, or I give them the finger and I'm at the podium and they're sitting right there in the meeting, right? I'm talking about spiritual principles after I just told them to F off on the way in, right? It keeps me on the path, you know? One of the things that those symbols do, I represent a couple of fellowships on my truck, you know? And I'm, I, if I represent them, then I should, if, if I'm not going to represent them, I should take them off the truck, you know? But I try to do the best I can because I may be the only big book that somebody ever sees. Thanks for letting me do this series. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Please join me in one more time in thanking Pat. And Pat, I'd actually like to invite you back up here as a special thanks for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. These past three months, we have a couple of special gifts for you. The first gift is we have a collector's limited edition, first edition big book, fridge magnet. So this is the fridge magnet in here. Actually, there's a couple of them. So that's the first edition big book magnet. The second one, we have the coffee mug itself. And then one more thing. We got this custom oh, that, lapel pin. No, so that, that's awesome uh, thanks yeah. so much, Thank Pat, so for everything. Much, Appreciate it. All right. We have a secretary, and that secretary is Ryan. Hi, my name's Ryan, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Uh, in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions to baskets from now going around, and I've asked Kelly to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered uh, rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. I'm Kelly, recovered alcoholic. Hey, Kelly. Hi. Recovered, we are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. We are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. 
We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Nineteen forty style big book sponsorship uh, from forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back into his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Uh, can I see a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Awesome. Um, and then does anyone in the room need a sponsor? Uh, if you could raise your hand. Uh, we got someone back there. Um, so awesome. So um, yeah, if just see any of those people that just have their hand raised and we can help get you back to God. Um, also, uh, it's the last meeting of December. Um, so we'd just like to celebrate anybody that had an anniversary in the month of December. Uh, so if you celebrated a year or more in the month of December, if you want to raise your hand. Awesome. Just stand up and so what's your name and how many, how many years? All right. Recovered alcohol is deep, 10 years. Also, if you, uh, if you are interested in contributing but just don't have cash, we do uh, swipe as well. So you can just in the back if you wanted to do that. Um, we have a couple announcements. Uh, so next Thursday, we have Doc H starting a new series for us. Um, so we're really looking forward to that. So definitely come out and check that out because uh, it should be really great. Um, also, uh, February 1st is going to be AA's Got Talent. Um, so if you're the best singer at your halfway, you should probably go out for that. Um, but you also see uh, Robert up at the front here because he's got tickets for that. So if you're interested in getting tickets, you can see Robert. Um, I think that was pretty much it for announcements. Uh, please join us Monday nights for our big book study meeting where the book comes alive. The fellowship starts at 6.30 and the big book, starts at 7, the big book study starts at 7.15. Um, and then we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, big book dictionaries all for sale on the rack up here. Um, so if you're interested in any of that, uh, you can see any home group member. And we meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15. And we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Oh, and last announcement. Uh, so the 75-foot no smoking, vaping zone out front of the church. Basically, just don't smoke in front of the doors of the church. Go all the way down. There's buckets set up, and that way you can throw your cigarette butts in it, too, and kill two birds with one stone. Um, so thank you. That's all I've got, and I'll see you next week. We have tonight's session and all the past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everybody to our Monday night big book study. Those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down the center aisle. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father.
shining through But when you crying You bring on the rain So stop your singing, baby And be happy
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. The fog is lifted, 
the lake Count my blessings when I go to sleep at night And I dream now Yeah, I dream now And everything's alright <laughs> Oh, man Going on 10 years old, that song is God bless I love you, Mike Chase Bye
the tape. Got one man that just won't. 